Throughout the ages, the saints have received persecution. They have been tormented, some have been tortured, and others even put to death. So two questions, how should we treat those going through the persecution? And then number two, what should we expect that the Almighty will do to those who have afflicted the righteous? Shortly before the home going of John Newton, the former slave trader, who also penned a famous hymn, Amazing Grace, a fellow servant of God came and had breakfast with him. Newton's sight was poor, so the friend would always read the scripture, and then they would have their meal together. The scripture that was read says this, by the grace of God, I am what I am, from 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. After a period of silence, Newton said, I am not what I ought to be. How imperfect and deficient I am. I am not what I wish to be. Although I abhor that which is evil and would cleave to the good, I am not what I hope to be, but soon I shall be out of mortality and with it all sin and imperfection. Though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor yet what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. I can hardly join with the apostle and acknowledge that by the grace of God, I am what I am. Turn with me, please, to the book of Second Thessalonians. And like First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians begins with grace in verse 1 and ends with grace, chapter 3 and verse 18. Several months have now elapsed since Paul wrote the first epistle. He wrote, we believe, from Corinth, AD 50 to 51. It seems that he is still there since Paul, Silas, and Timothy don't appear together throughout the remainder of the book of Acts. The saints are going to need God's grace to fix the problems at hand. There were work Issues that we're going to study about, Lord willing, in chapter 3, 6 through 10. And that problem was exasperated by the false correspondence that was given to this church. Someone had claimed to be the Apostle Paul and sent information that was erroneous, that put the saints in a Tail spin. And then we're going to see in chapter one, Lord willing, next sermon, that the persecution continues on these saints, but that God himself was going to deal with that. Now, as we consider the background, I'd like to give you the outline for this book. Uh, three chapters. So we have three divisions. One is Continuing despite persecution. That's chapter one. Continuing despite persecution. The exhortation to the saints, carry on even though you are being persecuted. 
Number two, clarifying the day of Christ. That's chapter two. Again, there was uh, correspondence or a false vision or some kind of information passed along, most likely a letter we'll see from chapter two, that claimed to either be from Paul or, or some apostle uh, that was misrepresentative of the truth. So that's going to need to be clarified. And then number three, closing exhortations to the saints. Third part of the outline, third chapter, as usual, once Paul gives you sound teaching, he needs to tell us now what to do with that. And that'll be predominantly in chapter three. So here is our focus question to start our series. What should you desire to impart to individuals who are suffering, persecuted, and confused about the present and future? Quite a mouthful. Let me go ahead and read to you 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, the author includes the missionary team in his introduction. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Clearly our author, Paul, self-identifies here in verse 1. When we get to the end of the book, chapter 3, verse 17, he's going to have signed this letter himself, so it's clearly written by Paul. Uh, the early church fathers, Polycarp, Ignatius, and Justin, among others, said Paul wrote this epistle. It's an intriguing thing to me, because often when Paul goes to war with the saints, in other words, like the book of Galatians, and they're moving away from the grace of the gospel of Christ to Judaism, trying to go back to the law because of the outside influence. And Paul states at the very beginning of the book that he's an apostle. In other words, I want you to know who I am, and I have God's authority. Throughout uh, these two epistles, it seems that these saints accepted the authority of Paul, because he doesn't have any title affixed in the beginning, like we'd have apostle or bond servant. Or to be a prisoner, as in Philemon 1.1. So it's interesting. It seems like they truly understood and respected the authority that Paul and his associates had. Speaking of an associate, we have Silvanus, a Jewish man. Uh, Silas equals the Aramaic. And uh, he has both a Roman name, given here, Silvanus, and Roman citizenship which was a big deal in the first century. We learn about that in Acts chapter 16 in verse 37. It would give the individual certain rights and privileges. Moreover, he is a prophet. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. You have to remember that as scripture was being penned, prophets had a major role in the first century. They would proclaim God's word as revealed to them. 
since they didn't have scripture in the New Testament to turn to, this was important. It was the second gift as far as the priority of edification building up. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, we're given first apostles and then second prophets. Both were instrumental in the foundation of the church. And we see those two terms put together in Ephesians 2.20 and then again in chapter 3 in verse 5. In Acts chapter 15, a controversy arises. The early church had been thriving, but some wanted to include aspects of the law combined with grace, uh, which makes it no longer grace. So there's a great big dispute that has taken place. We refer to this as the Jerusalem Council that was convened to show that it's the grace of God that brings salvation and not by going back to the works of the law. But notice in verse 32, now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many Words. So Silas is a prophet. God spoke to him directly at times, and he is giving exhortation to the saints. He's also a leader in the church. Uh, back in chapter 15, let your eyes now come down to verse 27. Luke writes, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. Paul and Barnabas were instrumental at the council, but then here are other key leaders. Man by the name of Silas or Silvanus. Uh, he had a good reputation, and this is critical uh, to the work of ministry, that a good name is to be chosen rather than great Riches. Now, here in the book of Acts, chapter 15, come down to verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. Paul had quite a ministry team. Because he has uh, Silas, who, by the way, later on would be his secretary. We, we read from 1 Peter 5, 12. But then he also has Timothy. Timothy. Uh, and Timothy is an important character with Paul because Paul had led him to Christ. Uh, notice that in 1 Timothy 1, 2, as Paul writes to Timothy, he calls him a true son in the faith. So Paul leads him to Christ, it seems. He's also called, and notice this, a beloved son. Not even just so much in the faith, but a beloved son. In 2 Timothy 1, 2, these two were close to each other. He was a native of Lystra. Uh, we learn about that in Acts chapter 16 in uh, South Central Asia Minor. And uh, he had a believing Jewish mother and grandmother that we learn about Eunice and Lois from 2 Timothy 1.5. And he had a good reputation among believers. This was important to have a good reputation. Acts chapter 16. Would you turn there, please? Book of Acts. Chapter 16, 
I think it's important to understand Paul's associates at this point and the character that they exhibited. Acts chapter 16, speaking of Timothy here, and by the way, he had an unsaved father, a a Gentile, verse 2. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted to take him with him. He had such a great reputation. He thought this is a man that I can invest with. We look for people that are faithful. They're available and they're teachable. We are to make disciples of all nations. But when it comes to training leadership, that's what we need to focus upon. Faithful, available and teachable. We find that from second Timothy two, one and two. So Timothy has a good reputation. He remains a vital servant of Jesus Christ for a long period of time because just before Paul is martyred, 2 Timothy chapter 4, guess who he wants to be with him? Timothy. Are you that kind of Christian? You have a great reputation. You're someone that godly individuals want to be with. In 2 Timothy 4, coming down to verse 9, be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas, a former associate of Paul, has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. We're not sure exactly why he left. There was a lot of money to be made in Thessalonica. But uh, it seems that Demas, at a critical time for Paul, was no longer available for ministry. Christians for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. (laughs) Remember the dissension with Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15? Because John Mark had jumped ship and abandoned a missionary trip. Well, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, put his arms around him, stayed with him, and he was useful for ministry. Paul recognizes this. He was so useful, he writes the second gospel. And Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Paul's about to die. He wants to be comfort. He wants to be warm in that pathetic cell. But he also desires to continue to study the word. But who could he depend upon in his last days? He could trust Timothy. He could trust Timothy. Uh, Timothy had a proven character. Uh, Turn with me to the book of Philippians, please. Philippians chapter 2. We start in chapter 2 with an exhortation for the saints to be like-minded. There were some disputes going on in the church. Euodia and Syntyche needed to be of the same mind. So who is the ultimate example of being the servant to all? Jesus Christ. And we are commanded to have this mind or this attitude in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 5. And then after we learn about the life of Christ, how he left heaven and he came down here to be the servant of all, and God has given him now the name, which is above every name, then we are introduced to other servants who poured themselves out, imitating Christ. Individuals worthy of imitation. And Timothy receives high praise from the apostle. Here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. 
But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Now, zero in on these words, for I have no one like-minded, a little here like-souled. Paul and Timothy became so close. They had lived ministry together. They had suffered greatly together and they stayed with it. For I have no one like minded who will sincerely care for your state. What a sad statement now in verse 21 for all seek their own. Wow. Remember the initial command Jesus gives to his disciples. In Mark chapter 8, down in verse 34, let a man, number one, what? Deny himself once and for all. Take up his cross once and for all, and then continually follow me. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying Timothy is unique. He's one of a kind. He's someone who puts others ahead of himself. Wasn't that the mind of Christ? But you know his proven character. That as a son with his father, notice the affection here. He served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. Isn't that precious? Paul trained men who reflected the character of Paul because Paul reflected the character of Christ. And that's why he could say, the Apostle Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Timothy had done that. So he becomes a model servant. He was such a trustworthy servant that in the letter to the Corinthians, with all the complexities that they were experienced because of divisions in the church and incest and lawsuits and abuse of the gifts and on and on and on. Paul could take Timothy. And in 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul tells the saints at Corinth that when Timothy comes, he will remind you of my ways. Discipleship. Discipleship. In Luke 6.40, the goal of the disciple is to be like the master or the teacher. And ultimately, the goal is Christ-likeness. Paul has a great team. He has Silas, a leading man among the church, a prophet, someone who shared a prison cell with Paul. Recall that from Acts chapter 16, there at Philippi. And both of them, after being beaten with rods, sang hymns not about God, but to God. And they watched the power of God being displayed through the earthquake and the salvation of the Philippian jailer and in his family. Timothy, someone who sat under the Apostle Paul at his feet, if you will, learned greatly about the things of Christ became a true son in the faith and treated just as a biological son, having Christ-like character. So what a triad, what a threesome for ministry. So we have them included in the greeting to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. During Paul's second missionary journey. He invaded enemy territory there at Thessalonica. 
it is estimated that there are a quarter of a million people in that city, and he plants a church before being expelled. He had a model church that had a reputation for spreading the gospel throughout the world. Here we have the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father. Our confidence is in Christ to build his church. Regardless of the economic times in which we live, or regardless of any viruses, or anything that is happening around us, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. We have to believe this, and we need to partner now with the Lord Jesus Christ because this is part of his kingdom plan. The church is vital, and anyone not identify with the church or caring about the church doesn't really understand what the Christian life is all about. Often, we have Christians who give you all these Bible verses, you know, on their Facebook post. And they write all these little spiritual things, but do they go to church? No. Do they care about the church? No. But they have their own little realm that they live in. Brother and sister in Christ, it's all about the local church. It's God's plan begun in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost will continue until Jesus Christ comes back for us in the rapture. We are his called out body. There's a universal church, and I praise the Lord for that. But God wants us to meet in our local assemblies, showing the world what Christ is doing. So very vital is the church of the Thessalonians. So when all the heathen would look at these saints, they would see that these individuals had walked with Paul, but most importantly, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were light in the midst of a dark world. Don't cut Christ out of your lives by shunning the local church. Paul was willing to die for the cause of Christ in the local church. When he was in Lystra, and he gets stoned in Acts chapter 14. What does he do? He continues preaching the gospel. What is it going to take to keep you from Jesus? There in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is preaching, perhaps it's in Peter's home. And there's a paralyzed man who has four friends and he got to get to Jesus. Well, so many people in the house, they peeled back the roof and load them down, maybe with the fishing line if it was Peter's home. And in the Old Testament, you just read about the excitement. I was glad when he said to me, let us go to the house of God. And in Hebrews 10, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We need to be together. It's body life. We need to be under pastors and teachers to do whatever it takes to be part of that local church because this is the plan of God. So it's the church of the Thessalonians and it's in God our Father. Now in First Thessalonians, it was God the Father talking about who the Father is. Now he is our 
father, showing the personal relationship that Paul and the Thessalonians have with the father. It's a personal relationship. It's an individual walk with God. It's coming under the hearing of the word of God and listening to the message being proclaimed and growing in our faith because we're sitting under pastors and teachers who are given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry. This is what it is all about, and it's very interesting. It's not only God the Father, but juxtaposed place right next to him is the Lord Jesus Christ showing the equality, showing the equality of Father and Son. And then in verse 2, grace to you, grace to you. And peace, all two things that we need desperately from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, charis, used 156 times in the New Testament. Like 1 Thessalonians, it begins the letter, 1 Thessalonians 1.1. End of the letter in chapter 5 and verse 28. Here in 2 Thessalonians, it begins the letter, chapter 1 and verse 2. And ends in chapter 3 and verse 18. Bookends! And by the way, even in this very chapter, we have bookends. Because in one two grace, and then in one twelve grace again. It's all about grace. We need God's grace, his favor to accomplish the mission that has been given. And I have to ask you the question, are you accomplishing the God-given mission of building the church of Jesus Christ? So it's not only grace, but it's peace. The Old Testament was shalom, a wholeness, a completeness, a soundness, a prosperity of the entire person. He's the God of peace, as we see from 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And peace is permeated throughout the scripture. We experience peace at our salvation. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This Romans 5.1. In Ephesians 2.14, we are told that he himself, speaking of Jesus Christ, is our peace. And once again, showing the deity of both Father and Son, they're placed next to one another, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's our main point, everyone. Extend grace and peace through the Father and Son, verses 1 and 2. Extend grace and peace through the Father and Son. You see, the Apostle Paul had a plan. Romans 15, 20 says he wanted to go and preach Christ where Christ had not been named. That was the goal. He was going to set out to go to those remote places where he would go to town and say, have you ever heard the name Jesus Christ? And if they said no, he was at the right place and he preached Christ. There was a plan. There was a mission. There was a goal. I believe goal today for many in the church of Jesus Christ is just self-preservation. Instead of a man denying himself and taking up the cross, which was associated with death, it's about my own little personal walk with God in my own little secluded world, and that's what I have. That wasn't the heart of the apostle Paul. He had a strong desire to go and proclaim Christ. He operated, by the way, By the grace of God. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says he accomplished more than all the apostles. How? By the grace of God. See, as you come boldly to the throne of grace, God gives you what you need, his favor, to accomplish the God-given mission. But that God-given mission is to make disciples of all the nations. And that means rubbing shoulders it means spending time with people, fellowshipping, having meals with them. It means having communion and watching baptisms occur. It's the church. It's body life. It's sitting under pastors and teachers that you no longer be tossed to and fro. It's all about the church of Jesus Christ. And like Paul, you need to have a plan to extend God's grace and peace through Jesus. How do you know what that mission is for you specifically? Well, I'll tell you how God works. You personally have a relationship with him through the son. And then as you are daily reading the word and praying and sitting under pastors and teachers, God will start to give you the direction you need to create your own plan, which is his plan for you to find the lost and train the found for God's glory. That is what this is all about. Jesus had modeled it. In Acts 1 and verse 8, you're going to make disciples. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Go, go, go. And today it's stay, stay, stay. What's going to happen on Judgment Day? In 1 Corinthians 3, we, we are going to be taken to the Bema seat in conjunction with the local church and be judged for both our motives, why we did what we did, but then also if it was an accord with the word of God. You need to have right doctrine. You need to have right motives. And each one's work will be made manifest. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. In other words, even those secret things we've done for Christ will be revealed and will be rewarded. But don't deceive yourself that this is to be done outside of the purview, outside of the scope of the local church. If this is Christ's plan that it needs to be our plan too. And we need to be under the leadership so we can understand the heart that God gives for a local church in order how they are to go and make disciples of all the nations. Paul even would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. See, as you commit to stay connected to Christ, he furnishes your life with grace. So even when you're overwhelmed with the work that he's called you to do for himself, he gives you that supernatural ability to accomplish it. He's given you a spiritual gift, not to isolate it, as each one has received a gift, a grace gift. First Peter 4.10, use it to minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's second Timothy two one. And when we're lacking what we need, we go to the throne of grace and God provides grace and mercy to help in that time of need. 
We need to follow in the steps of Jesus. He laid out a game plan. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We need to follow in the footsteps of Paul to extend that grace and peace to others because Paul was going to bring it where no one had gone before. Each individual who walks with God and continues to get grace, who is under the authority of the local church, who is growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, will receive the guidance that is necessary to know how we are to be part of this great commission. So may I encourage you, extend grace and peace through the Father and Son. Prioritize what God has prioritized in his word. Jesus believed in the church so much that he died for it to be possible. He said even the gates of Hades' death, his own death, would not prevent the church because he conquered death. And now he's building his church. And one day he wants to reward you richly for partnering in his plan for the age. That's the local church. Let's extend grace and peace through the Father and Son. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. You are awesome. I thank you for the teams you assembled throughout history. Great missionary teams. In this case, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and for their character and how they accomplished much. And now they're in your presence enjoying you. And for us, we also can receive that grace and that peace and then extend it to others that we can find the lost and train the found for God's glory. I thank you that Paul writes to churches and even as they were being persecuted and suffering, that they continued to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we endeavor to do the same to make disciples of all the nations for the glory of God, I ask in Jesus' name.